Hi, you're listening to the sermon recording podcast of Awaken Church. Awaken is a church of missional communities whose vision is to see individuals experience healing through the gospel, be raised to their fullest potential among community, and sent out to live a life on mission. You can find out more online at awakenvb.com. And if you live in Hampton Roads, we invite you to check out our worship gathering in the Haygood area of Virginia Beach, Saturday evenings at 5 p.m. Thank you for listening. I'll take that away then. My wife got that for me. Yes. Um, I know we just prayed, and so from like a production standpoint, moving from prayer right into prayer isn't like a smooth transition, but if I'm being honest with you, um, I'm experiencing some nerves and some other things that I don't normally experience uh, speaking in front of our community. So if you would bear with me, I would like to pray one more time uh, just to kind of uh, set the tone for where we're going to go, and then we'll jump right in this, uh, this evening. So uh, holy God, we just thank you for bringing our community together. I thank you for the church and the community that you're building here. I pray that you would be with me as I speak, that there would be nothing uh, that I say that you would not have me say. There would be nothing that would come out of my mouth that you did not lay on my heart to speak and that people would hear um, your heart tonight and not um, what I think is, is clever or interesting or engaging, but they would uh, just hear from you that your spirit would be engaging people as, uh, as I speak what I feel like you've called me to speak tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. Let's roll. Um, as I mentioned, I am a little uh, nervous. This is a sensitive subject. And so Philip and I have kind of had this long-running joke that he always gives me the difficult messages to, to speak. And so I guess, uh, since he's still doing it, I must have a decent track record with some of these other tough ones. So hopefully we'll continue that through tonight because uh, I think he's going to keep giving them to me regardless. So we'll just keep trying to knock them down as they come. But we've been going through this Overcome series, and so we're talking about the things in our lives that keep us from living out the calling that God has placed on our lives, right? And so uh, at Awaken Church, we have kind of three values that govern our community, three rhythms that we feel like define us as a community. Uh, hopefully you can recite them and you don't need me to tell them to you, but just for the sake of making sure everybody's on the same page, the first of those is healing in. We believe that uh, God wants to bring healing into your life through the gospel and that he will heal any, all aspects of your life if you give him the space and the opportunity to do so. If you turn it over to him, he wants to bring healing into every aspect of our lives. The second rhythm or the second value that uh, leads our community uh, is raising up. Raising up is the idea that the gospel was meant to be lived out among a community of believers and that we are raised to our fullest potential in Christ as we live the gospel out in community, right? And then the last uh, value or rhythm that, uh, that we hold at Awaken Church is sending out. And sending out is this idea that we uh, live out the gospel among a community of believers, but it's not supposed to stay in that community of believers. That each of us is called to be a missionary. Each one of us is called to live a life on mission that partners with God in his mission of restoring all things. And so these are the three values that we feel like govern our community here at Awaken Church. We feel like that is the true essence of the church, broken down into really simple to identify and, and, and follow pieces. And so we've been going through this series called Overcome, and we've been talking about things that if we are not able to move past them, they get in the way of us being able to do those things. And so two weeks ago, uh, Connie spoke about uh, our identity issues and how uh, we, it's really difficult sometimes for some of us that we allow the world to determine our identity and therefore our worth, 
rather than allowing our identity to flow through uh, him who created us and tells us what we're worth, right? And so if we uh, are not able to move past allowing the world to determine our identity, then it's hard to live into these three things. Last week, uh, uh, we had our first kind of family gathering 2.0. And so if you guys were there, you know, we changed up some stuff. We really, really enjoyed kind of the way that that felt. We hope that you did too. Um, But Philip, as part of that discussion over dinner, talked about this idea of overcoming our past. And what are the things that, uh, that we drag along with us that we allow to define us? Rather than just allow them to be part of our story and let God use those things, we allow our past to define us and keep us from living into what God has truly called us to. And so these are the kinds of things that if we don't overcome them, which is the, the, obviously the theme of this series, that uh, we can't receive the healing in our lives that God wants us to bring. Uh, it damages our relationships with other people in community. And it keeps us from uh, realizing our identity as uh, being equipped and called to live a life on mission. And so today, what I'm going to be talking about is uh, what do we do when some of the beliefs that we've held or some of the things that we have been taught about God actually get in the way of us living out the calling that he's placed on our lives. So again, a little bit of a a biggie. Um, I want to start off by asking what kind of person you are. Because I think as we kind of delve into this a little bit deeper, there's really two kinds of people when we start to talk about uh, this topic. And so there are uh, what I have deemed for our purposes tonight, there are the certain and there are the wrestlers. Okay? And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'll I'll, I'll uh, get into that in a minute why that is. But I want you to think about what kind of person you are. And so the difference is, uh, some of us in here, uh, I've called again for the purposes of this this message, the certain. If you are a certain person, then you don't really have a lot of difficulty believing the claims of Christianity, the things that you've been taught. Maybe you grew up in the church, maybe you didn't, but that you don't have a lot of trouble Uh, believing the claims that Christianity makes. And so maybe there are certain things in your life that you say, yeah, I don't really truly understand this, but I trust that there is an explanation and that does not create any tension for me whatsoever, right? I understand that there's a God who's bigger than me, that understands better than me, and so I don't need to understand each and every thing in order to believe this, and it does not keep me up at night. Uh, Those are the certain people. And then there are the wrestlers. Uh, The wrestlers uh, just have... No choice but to take everything that they believe and turn it over and look at it from every direction and say, okay, I I have trouble swallowing this. I have to uh, wrestle with this until I believe it, until not just I take what you've told me and and I say that it's true, but I have to turn this over and look at it from every angle until I understand why I believe this. So as uh, we go through this, where do you kind of find yourself on that spectrum? Are you somebody who would identify with the certain are you somebody who would identify with the wrestlers? The church traditionally um, has not been super welcoming to the wrestler. I don't know if you're somebody who is a wrestler. You can probably think back if you've been a part of church in the past where there were questions that you had or things that you had trouble with that when you brought them to the front when you taught, maybe it was a pastor you asked questions to, maybe it was a Sunday school teacher, maybe it was somebody in a small group, but as you asked some of these questions, maybe they weren't received super well. And so the church has not always been traditionally welcoming to the wrestlers. Uh, I think uh, if you're here tonight, the biggest thing, if you're a wrestler, the biggest thing I want you to hear from us is that you have permission to wrestle. We want to be a community community 
that creates space and creates permission for people to wrestle with their faith, people to work out their faith, and even permission to doubt. I think a lot of Christians are terrified of doubt. I think Christians believe that doubt is a sign of weakness of faith. When we doubt the things that we know about God, then it means we don't truly believe them. It means that we have a weaker faith uh, that we uh, can't just believe those things. Um, but I want you to hear from me that that's not, that's not even close to true. Doubt, uh, actually I have a quote. Uh, there's a German-American philosopher and theologian named Paul Tillich. It'll be on the, the screen behind me. And this is, uh, this is what he says. He says, doubt is not the opposite of faith. It is an element of faith. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. It's an element of faith. You see, those that have no trouble with certainty, it actually requires much less faith for you to believe something that you're certain of. Does that make sense? It requires far less faith for you to believe something that you're certain of than for someone who says, I choose to believe something in spite of wrestling with this, in spite of saying, you know, it does not always make sense to me. There are some days that I'm not sure that I can subscribe to this wholeheartedly, but I still choose in the midst of my doubt, in the midst of my wrestling, to believe. And so if you're somebody who's a wrestler, if you're somebody who struggles with certain elements of Christianity or certain tenets or doctrines of the faith, I want you to hear from me that there, that is not a weakness and that you have permission to wrestle. In fact, uh, if you're a wrestler, you're in really good company. Um, there's a lot of people who have uh, had to wrestle with what they believed about Christianity, what they believed of their faith. And it's not uncommon for your views on God or your views on the church or your views on Christianity to change and evolve over time. As a matter of fact, I would go as far as to say I think that's healthy for things to grow and evolve over time. Our understanding now is not the same as it was when we were children. And so it makes sense for as we process, as we grow, as our relationship with God and our uh, relationship with the Spirit deepens and becomes more mature, that we would have new eyes to look at things that we've believed before. And that doesn't mean that we're always going to throw things out that we've believed before, but maybe they kind of evolve and our understanding changes and deepens. Uh, and, and, and hopefully that's something you can relate with. Uh, I'm a wrestler. There have been times in my life where I've had to take a look at something and I say, you know what, I can't just accept this because you've told me this is true, right? I have to take it. I have to turn it around. I have to do research. And I say, okay, do I believe this because you told me so or do I actually understand and believe this because that's the conclusion that I've come to? And so over the years, there are many things that were presented to me as a single way of looking at something that I've had a lot of trouble adopting, a lot of trouble uh, believing. And so I've been a wrestler. And uh, just because it's a natural thing to kind of uh, wrestle with those things does not mean that it's a pleasant thing. And so I think it's very, uh, we can come to a point where even if we're wrestling with something, uh, even if it's good for us to evolve over time, even if it's good for us to take the things that we believe and not just believe them because we were told, but to say, okay, God, I really want to know what you want to tell me about this, doesn't make it a pleasant experience because some things that we come to believe are going to rub up against things that we've held for a long time or things that we believe that the church has told us. And so um, I can feel it already in this room. There are some people that are already, there's some tension and they're not sure where I'm going with this. So what I want to do, I want us to take a look at a, at a passage of scripture. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit long. 
um, and I'm hoping it will prove itself to be helpful. So if you would, uh, we'll have it on the screen uh, behind me, um, and uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Acts chapter 10. Uh, it's kind of a long passage, but as I looked through this and I said, okay, where do I want to start? Where do I want to end? What do I want to eliminate? Um, I, there really wasn't anything I could cut out. I really needed to take the passage in its entirety. So uh, it'll be a little long. I'm going to get some water before I get started. All right. Let's do this together. Starting in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So who is this guy, Cornelius? I'm going to need to hear from you because I'm feeling uncomfortable up here. Who is Cornelius? He is a what? He's a soldier. He's a military person in the Roman army, which means he is not what? He's not Jewish. Uh, if you've read this passage before, that's going to be a key factor of what we're talking about. So he is somebody who is, is a ranking military person. He has a lot of authority. He has the ability to send people to and fro, right? To send people to Joppa to go retrieve this guy is the kind of person that commands the kind of respect that when I say, hey, I need you to go from Joppa and come see me, you don't really have a choice whether or not to do that, right? So it's a man who is not Jewish, but it says he is a believer in God. And so we know by this point in Acts that the gospel has started to go out of a strictly Jewish faith, right? Christianity was founded in uh, Judaism and was uh, considered a sect of Judaism, but as it began to grow and mature, there began to be Gentiles, which are people that are not of the Jewish faith, that began to believe in the gospel and began to recognize Jesus as Lord. And so that created all kinds of interesting uh, things for the Jewish people that had understood Christianity to be specifically for the Jews, Right? And so this is what we're going to talk about as we continue to go. So Cornelius is sending some people to Joppa to get Peter and to bring him back. So we'll pick up in verse 9. About noon, this is where like if it were a movie, we have a scene change. Now we're identifying with Peter. It says, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter answers in verse 14, surely not, Lord. Peter replied, I have never eaten anything that is impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So Peter uh, is hungry, and as he tries to pray, he is distracted by his hunger. Maybe you can relate. I'm sure I can. And so he starts to have this vision. And in this vision, God lowers down this huge sheet full of all different kinds of animals and all different kinds of food, and he tells Peter, what? Kill and eat, right? 
eat some of this food. You're so hungry. I have prepared a meal for you. Take it and eat. And Peter's response is, I can't do that. Right? He says, I've never eaten anything that is or impure and unclean. And what he's referring to, if you're not familiar, is the Jewish law had all kinds of dietary restrictions in it. There were all kinds of animals that the Jewish people were not allowed to eat. And this was part of the, the code and the law that they had been given uh, uh, thousands of years earlier, right? Uh, ever since uh, the Old Testament books of Leviticus that outlined these restrictions and these codes for what it meant to live like the people of God, what were going to set them apart from every else as God said you are my chosen people to represent me to the world and so Peter says I can't eat this stuff this is against the law which to them was against scripture law was scripture they had the Pentateuch in the, the Hebrew or they had the Septuagint in the Greek but both of those what they were were the first five books of the Old Testament that comprised the scriptures for the Jewish people and so Peter gets a message from God that says hey eat this food and Peter says I can't that's against scripture this happens two or three times uh, not two or three times, it happens three times. Um, and it says, uh, so while Peter was still thinking about the vision, this, uh, we're now in verse 19. No, I'm sorry, sorry, I skipped ahead, verse 17. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. Now verse 19. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Uh, we're going to keep on pushing on. So now we're still in verse 23. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. And this is where we're going to wrap up. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or to visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. The Bible is a really amazing book. <laughs> the things that we read when we go through here, sometimes I'm amazed at what was inspired to be written into these pages. And so here we have clearly... Peter has received something from God, right? God is speaking something to Peter that is rubbing up against Peter's understanding of what the law is for his people, what God has called him to live out in his faith. And so there's a tension that Peter has here, so much so that when God says Peter, in his vision, Peter, take and eat, Peter says no. Peter actually uh, seemingly uh, uh, claims to have a better understanding of what the law was about than what, than what God has called him to. And so I'm sure Peter in his mind said, this must be a test, right? I, I, God is putting this in front of me. This has got to be a test. But it's cool. I got, the, I got the right answer, so I'm not worried about it. But God is actually trying to challenge Peter's view of the Old Testament law. And so he goes and he says, okay, now I want you to go to this Gentile man 
There's three men that are coming to take you. And even though Peter says very clearly, it is against our law for me as a Jewish man to interact with you as a Gentile or to visit you in your home, but God has shown me, again, going back to that, uh, that last passage that we read together, God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or, or unclean. And so this is indicative of something much larger that was going on. The gospel was moving from a strictly Jewish context to a much larger context. And so the idea of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, what it meant to be a follower of the way, as it was called, was evolving from a previous understanding. And this created all kinds of tension. Peter not only has some internal tension here, where what God is telling him presses up against and rubs up against how he understands and has always understood the scripture to mean and what the law was for for Jewish people, but this goes on. Peter and Paul have uh, conflict and have, and have these arguments about what it means for the gospel to go into a Gentile community, and do they have to follow our dietary restrictions, and do they have to be circumcised, and do they have to obey uh, the Sabbath laws, right? Like, what are all these things that Jewish people have always had to do? Do the Gentile people have to do all those things? And so it's created all kinds of tension and strife as, these, as Peter and other Christians at that time had to wrestle with what they thought it meant to follow God and now follow Jesus versus what God was trying to show them, trying to challenge their understanding of what Scripture was. And so it, it, it blows my mind that, that something like this is actually in Scripture, right? That we have here a man wrestling and, and, and evolving with the way that he has viewed the law. God says, no, this is important. This needs to be in here. And so for those of us that are wrestlers, uh, I think we are in good company. There are going to be some times, I think, where our understandings are of, what, of who God is is going to change. Now, please hear me very clearly. I am not saying that God is changing, right? I'm not saying that the doctrines that we've held before are no longer true. I'm not saying any of those things. But I'm saying that as we come to understand them in different ways, then our view and our understanding changes and evolves and matures. And when that happens, I think we... Um, or an interesting uh, place uh, where we have to go. So like for me, again, personally, I've had issues where things, my understanding of who God's character is as he's revealed it to me uh, through scripture and through just personal relationship, that there are times where I've said, you know what, this, these two things don't seem to, to work together in my mind. And so I've had to go to scripture, not because my understanding, not because the scripture was wrong, but because maybe my understanding of what I was reading in scripture was not the best understanding. And so... I think it's okay, and we want to be a community that allows for people to wrestle and allows for people to doubt and to go along on that journey that God is bringing them on. Uh, uh, this is something I could honestly uh, talk for for hours, which we obviously don't have time for, so we'll, we'll leave it at this with this quote. This is uh, uh, St. Augustine of Hippo. Uh, he's referring in this quote to the interaction that Jesus had with the Pharisees, where the Pharisees asked Christ, what is the most important commandment? And you... What, what did he say? Spoilers, it's... Oh, no, it's not up there. Uh, what, what did he say is the most important commandment? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And he said the second is like it, which is what? Good, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus says that all of the laws and all of the prophets can be summed up in these two commands, right? Didn't invalidate any of those things, but says they can all be summed up. If you're doing these two things, then you're going to be good. 
And so I think as we uh, maybe come to a place, again, I'm not talking to everybody in here, but if you are somebody who is a wrestler who really struggles with the doubt that you have or the way that you view things, and it's coming between you and being able to have a rich and full relationship with Jesus and with other people, then I want to say you have permission to wrestle in that and to come up with, uh, to, to, to really wrestle and ask God to help you come to a place where you can resolve those things. And that we want to be a community that allows you to do that and wants to work alongside you as you do. So I think uh, the, the quote that we're going to read is in reference uh, to that interaction that Jesus had. And so this is St. Augustine of Hippo. This is what he says. He says, anyone who thinks he has understood the divine scriptures or any part of them, but cannot by his understanding build up this double, double love of God and neighbor has not succeeded in understanding them. Leave that up for just a minute, Heather, if you would. So what this is saying is that Jesus has kind of summed up all the law and the prophets in these two things, love God and love your neighbor, right? And so if we are taking anything away from Scripture that does not build up this love of God and love of neighbor, then maybe we have missed the point. Maybe we need to go back to that again. Augustine says, if you can't understand, uh, uh, by your understanding, build up this love of God and neighbor, then you have failed in, in, in understanding the Scriptures. And so I think that it's okay for us to say, you know what, maybe what I was taught, maybe the idea that I had, maybe when we start to experience that tension, it's okay to let go of things if it doesn't allow us to grow in our love of God or love of others. Um, so what about you certain people? Spent a lot of time harping on the wrestlers. And so as, as I said, for the wrestlers, we want to say that you have permission and that we want to be a community that gives you permission to wrestle, permission to doubt, and permission to work out your faith, and we want to be a community that does that alongside you. So what about the certain people? You guys th thought you were getting off easy. I said, cool, Jeff's not talking to me tonight. I can hang out on Facebook. Um, in a lot of ways, I think, and I'm just speaking for myself here, but uh, I, I feel fairly, fairly comfortable. I think a lot of us that are wrestlers would actually prefer not to be wrestlers. Right? I think there's a lot of things in my life that would be easier if I could just accept certain things wholesale and not have any tension with, with any cognitive dissonance or anything else that comes up into my mind. It would be so much easier to just be able to say, you know what? I don't understand it. It's a mystery. I have faith that God is good, and so I, I don't lose any sleep over the things that I don't understand or that I can't reconcile with one another. I think a lot of us wrestlers, speaking again for myself, would prefer not to be wrestlers. Um, and so I think if you're someone here who identifies as the certain person, uh, I think that's a, a huge blessing. I really do. And my goal is not, as I stand up here and talk, is to try to make anyone who feels like they are certain and that they don't wrestle, that they don't have tension, I, I'm saying that is fantastic. My goal is not to cause you to wrestle. My goal is not to cause you to second-guess things. If you are able to rest in certainty on your beliefs and your foundation and those foundation and those beliefs lead you to a better love of God and a better love of your neighbor, then I don't want to upset that apple cart at all. I have a different word for the people that identify as the certain in the room. For the wrestlers, it was you have permission. For the certain, I think we need to be very, very intentional about having grace. I already mentioned the church has traditionally not been super kind to the wrestlers. Um, and I, and I, I think uh, part of that is because those who have traditionally not had trouble, not had to wrestle, they have set up certain 
pretty strict and rigid boundaries around who's in the club and who's not. And so that has caused those people who are wrestling with, with maybe less central parts of the faith to have to decide, okay, do I, if I have to believe in this wholesale or I have to believe in this not at all, right? There has not traditionally been grace and space for people to come up to something and say, okay, I either have to accept every single check mark on your list or I have to abandon it altogether. There has not traditionally been space for people to say, okay, these are the core, these are the most important things, and then there's some stuff that you can wrestle with. There's some stuff that we can view differently. And I think the church has not always done a great job of creating the grace and the space for that to happen. So, uh, I'm going to show you two pictures real quick, and they're going to be up there for a little while, but they don't mind. They're all friends of mine, so it's cool. Uh, and so, I think when we start to look at things uh, in the church, uh, that maybe if the way that we are viewing the church is regularly and continually causing people to have to say, okay, I either have to... Uh, subscribe to everything or nothing, that maybe there's a different way that we can look at the church. And so the following is borrowed from uh, what's called set theory in mathematics. And so I want to introduce you guys to two different ideas. The first one is what's called a bounded set. And so I've got some pictures because my wife tells me that it's a lot easier when I throw up pictures to explain certain things. Uh, so this is what's called a bounded set, right? And so this is taken from set theory in mathematics where you'll have different plot points on, on, a, on a plane right? And then there is a very strict boundary that is drawn out, and everybody that is inside the boundary is inside that set, and everybody that's outside of the boundary is outside of that set. Does that make sense? Right? It's pretty easy to understand. And the way that the church has operated traditionally has been a bounded set model where the boundary that is drawn are certain sets of beliefs, certain uh, intellectual propositions that in order to get inside the boundary from outside of the boundary, you have to say yes to a series of things, whatever they are. Some churches, they may be really small. Some churches, they may be pretty long. But whatever it is, you have to say yes and check and check, and then you find yourself inside the boundary rather than outside, right? Uh, an example of this in the real world would be like uh, a bounded set would be like mammals, right? So you have all kinds of animals and then you have certain checkboxes, what makes a mammal a mammal, right? They have to be warm-blooded. They have to have hair or fur. They have to have live births. I'm bringing some of you guys back to high school biology, right? And so you have to have all of those things. And if you have all of those things, you're inside the boundary of what it means to be a mammal. If not, you're just, you're not. You're, an ant, you're a reptile, bird, fish, whatever you are. doesn't matter. You're outside of the boundary, right? This is the way the church has traditionally operated. But I think there's another uh, set theory that we can borrow, uh, and this is called a centered set, if you throw that up for me, Heather. This is called a centered set. And so a centered set is different. A centered set does not create a boundary and define you by whether you're inside or outside of the boundary. The centered set is different. The centered set defines a center point that is the best possible prime example of what you're looking for, and then everything else is defined by whether they are uh, oriented towards that thing or away from that thing and whether they're moving closer to it or farther away. Does that make sense? So I'll give you another example. Uh, this one hits really close to home. Um, baldness would be a centered set model, right? 
because, uh, so like right in the middle would be like the pinnacle of baldness, right? And so I asked my wife, who's the most famous bald person in the world? And she said, Mr. Clean. So I don't know if you, I don't know if you had somebody else in mind. I talked a lot about wrestlers tonight, so maybe you inherently went to like Stone Cold Steve Austin or like somebody, whoever is like the primary bald person. Uh, for us, um, looking around the room, you guys are all looking pretty good. I'm going to have to pick on Raymond, even though he's not in the room anymore. When Raymond, Ray, Raymond would be our center point, right? And so everything else is oriented around that, either moving farther or closer. And so uh, uh, a centered set model is a dynamic model. It's in motion. And so a baby, when it's born, right, probably depending on the baby, has very little hair. So it's going to be very, very close to that centered point. I don't know what's going on behind me, but I... Yeah, you're, some of you have hairy babies. I don't know what to tell you. But in general, you would start kind of close to that point, but as you grew and get more and more hair, you move farther and farther away from it, right? Until you get to like where I am, and I'm now getting closer and closer instead of farther and farther away from that center point. Does that make sense? So you're oriented by are you facing the center or are you moving closer and farther away from the center? And so let's take that now. Let's look at the church. What is our center point as the church? Absolutely, that's a Sunday school answer, right? Jesus Christ is at the center. And so rather than creating a boundary of intellectual beliefs that says you're either in or out based on this, instead it says Jesus is at the center and you are oriented either towards him or away from him. You're either moving closer as you live your life or you're moving farther and farther away. And Jesus himself kind of uh, seems to be a believer of this kind of model of Christianity as he tells uh, the, the Pharisees, he says, look, the prostitutes and the tax collectors are entering the kingdom of God before you are. And so in a bounded set model, Pharisees would have been, bam, right smack in the middle, right? But in a centered set model, we know through how Jesus talked to them, how he challenged them, that they were missing the point entirely. And so if Jesus is here, they're moving farther away from him rather than moving closer to him. They have rejected him. They are not facing him. Whereas the tax collectors and the prostitutes who would have started so far out of a bounded set mentality, are, they are oriented towards him and they are attracted and gravitating towards him and becoming more and more like him as they move closer. And so I think really challenging the way we want, uh, again, Philip mentioned it earlier, we want to be a church of missional communities where we can say, listen, anyone, maybe we disagree about certain things, right? But we want to create permission for you to wrestle and we want to create grace for those uh, to be able to view things differently. And so we want to get to a point where in our missional communities we can say, look, anyone who is facing Christ and moving closer to him is my brother and my sister, Right? whether we maybe differ on some opinions, differ on some finer points of the faith, that we say if you, are for, if you are facing Christ and moving, if the fruit of your life is moving you closer and closer to Christ, then you are my brother or you are my sister. And so I think this is kind of the model as missional communities. We want to be communities that are living our lives on mission. We're going to be surrounded by so many people that come from so many different backgrounds and believe so many different things that we have to adopt a, a, a posture of allowing them to come in with what they bring and then saying, hey, we're now on a journey together. We're both moving closer to Christ. And so we're going to get to the same point eventually, but we're on this path together. 
And so we see this in the, the, the people that Jesus gathered around him. He had everything from tax collectors, which were representatives of an occupying government, right, to uh, zealots who were anti-Roman political terrorists, right? All as part of this same. We see him interacting with Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, right? And everybody is welcomed and received and challenged. He doesn't say to anyone outside of one Canaanite woman, uh, which that's a whole other story. We don't have time for that, obviously. Um, but, uh, but outside of one Canaanite woman says, look, you are part of the family. I want to invite you into this, right? And so I think uh, you've heard me talk about this before, but this is why I think those three B's are so, so important especially as we look at being a missional community that wants to accept people, invite them into a community. And so traditionally, if you don't know what I'm talking about, the, traditionally the bounded set model of Christianity has given three Bs where he says, look, first you have to believe, right? If you want to be a part of our community, the first thing you have to do is believe. The second thing you have to do is behave, right? So you have to live your life as if you believe. And then if you are doing those two things, then you belong. You're part of our community. So if you believe and behave, then you can belong. And this is that bounded set model of Christianity. But the centered set model challenges that, and it says, no, we want to first, and this is so, so important in our missional communities, we first invite people to belong. You can belong to a community of people who loves God before you even decide whether or not you believe in God. Right? You can be a part of something before you ever have to say, you know what, yeah, I think, I think I do. And the beautiful part about that is you get to experience God before you ever choose whether or not you believe in him. And so we say first we invite people to belong, right? And then after they experience God through community, right, then we invite them to believe. And then once they believe, then the last B is we become together, right? So you're invited to belong, you choose to believe, and then together we become what God has called us to do. And so I am uh, way over time. I didn't even get the 10, 5 minutes. I don't know where those were. I blew right past them. Uh, but my challenge for you as we kind of close in worship tonight is are we a community? Are we going to commit to being a community that creates space and gives permission for people to wrestle with the things that they are not yet sure of? And are we want to be a people that have grace that there's room around the proverbial table of Christianity for people that believe different things than we do so long as we are oriented towards Christ and the fruit of our life proves that we are moving towards the center rather than away from the center. And so that's who we want to be in our community. And so I'm going to uh, uh, close in prayer and ask the Spirit to continue to challenge us uh, to be a community that embodies those things. If you'll pray with me.